Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on Donate What? Charles Darwin. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Grabber. Alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we're going to be running down a bunch of topical news going on with the NFL. And that starts with what's going on with some coaching changes. Really just one in Bill O'Brien, but we're going to talk about some other guys who might be on the hot seat and discuss whether we think they deserve to go. And if they do, who should replace them? But let's start with the guy who is already gone. And the entire city of Houston is rejoicing at the news that Bill O'Brien is their head coach and GM no longer. He has been fired after an 0-4 start. So, Logan, first of all, I have to ask, was this the right move? Uh, yeah, easily. Bill O'Brien has demonstrated uh, time and time again he doesn't have the ability to make a good trade as a head coach, um, as a GM. He, I, I think Bill O'Brien got a really short stick with how the scheduling worked out for the Texans this season, but... Um, with the lack of playoff success outside of, I think he beat the Bills last season. Uh, you know, a yeah, lack of technically, <laughs> a lack of postseason success. This was the right move for the Texans. I think it's interesting because it seemed like such a no-brainer in so many people's eyes. There's such a wide-held view of Bill O'Brien as just not a good coach. I do think that he has obviously some results. He's 52 and 48 in his time in Houston, four playoff appearances in six full years. But I don't think he was a good coach. I think it was the right move. He wouldn't have had nearly that success if not for being in the AFC South, which has been the worst division in football that entire time. Twice the Texans made the playoffs with a negative point differential. And when it comes to head coaches, obviously their job is to manage the team as a whole. But I always look to the side of the ball that they come from. And Bill O'Brien is an offensive guy. He lucked into a great defense to start his tenure. And the offense was the team's weakness. And you can blame that on... Poor quarterback talent, that's fine. I just don't think he deserves credit for having J.J. Watt and the boys balling out. And that offense got a little better with Deshaun, but it was never at the level it should have been. They were never top 10 in points scored. They were only above the league average twice while they had three top seven defenses. So why were they a playoff team? Why were they competent? Because of the side of the ball that has very little to do with Bill O'Brien. And then, if you look at the impact of his decisions as a general manager 
only had a couple years, but with one of the most talented quarterbacks in football, never corrected that O-line that sacked him 62 times in his second year. He's on pace to take 64 sacks again this year, which is obviously going to, it's currently leading the league. And then he took away his greatest weapon in DeAndre Hopkins. So I do think that brings another question because obviously he hasn't been able to engineer the kind of offensive unit that you would want from an offensive guy. But also, he has been as maligned, if not more so, for his decisions in his brief tenure as a general manager. So I will ask you, Logan, who was worse, GM Bill O'Brien or Coach Bill O'Brien? GM Bill O'Brien by far. Uh, I mean, he completely decimated this team. The Laramie Tunsil move, I kind of liked because I think Tunsil is a stud at tackle. But when that's your only move and you're giving up multiple picks to get him you're killing the rest of your offensive line effectively. Then you throw in the steals deal. You throw in... God, I I grimace anytime I think of DeAndre Hopkins not being with Deshaun Watson because they obviously had such a great connection. Uh, Bill O'Brien, the GM was far worse. Carson, I want to ask you, what do you think the worst move was as Bill O'Brien, the GM? It has to be the D-Hop trade. And I think that that was when he lost the faith of the entire city of Houston and became a laughingstock of the entire NFL because... The track record had been building up, but that was the point where it was just like, how could you possibly excuse this? I do think now we have to look at who can potentially replace Bill O'Brien for the long haul. Right now, Romeo Cornell has stepped up as the quote-unquote interim head coach, and that's great. I do think that he's probably better served in that defensive coordinator role at this age. So who do you think is the long-term option for them? Uh, yeah, short term, I think you stick with Romeo Cornell. He actually did the impossible in 07 when he led the Browns to a winning season. <laughs> impossible in Cleveland. For the future, I think this is a very appealing deal for any head coach. And I know he's a hot topic around the league. I'm going to go with Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs OC. I think you could throw him in any available job. But I think this one is especially... Any coach that is a free agent is going to want this because you get the head coaching job and you get the GM job along with it. I think that's a very enticing package, although you don't have picks. You do have Deshaun Watson also in that deal. I think that Eric Bieniemy would would eat up the chance to go to the Texans and have another stud quarterback that he could coach up and build a tremendous high-octane offense around. Um, so yeah, I think Bienemy is probably my pick. Uh, I think there's also some guys in the uh, college coaching ranks, maybe a Brian Kelly, a Swinney, if you're feeling that way. But I think this is a uh, great opportunity for a guy like Bienemy. I'm going to take another really talented OC in Kellen Moore. I think there's some intrigue there. And obviously, he's only 31. So can he command a locker room at this point? Maybe not. But here's why I think it could work. You have 73-year-old Romeo Cornell in the same room who can be that sort of co-head coach, if you will, because he has that veteran presence. We know what he's capable of. And then Moore is that kind of shiny new face that this city can put their faith in and say, okay, maybe we can actually turn things around because there's optimism there. He'll obviously help offensively because he is a brilliant mind there. And then he sort of shares that co-coaching role with Cornell. He would be, I, th I think, the youngest head coach ever, right? He's younger than McVay was. But I think that he's good enough to where it's a unique situation where they have the talent, they have that guy who can be that authority figure alongside him and Cornell where it could work. Uh, Carson... <laughs> Why do you think Jerry Jones would let go of Kellen Moore? Because I, I think he's a tremendous OC. He's a great play caller. What What's the incentive for the Cowboys? I don't think there is an incentive for the Cowboys. So I guess that there's your, your problem <laughs> with it. But I just think at some point, even though it's only his second year, I don't think Kellen Moore is destined to be an OC in this league for very long. I think he's going to be climbing up the head coaching ranks very soon. Maybe too soon because we have seen that 
sort of destroy people early in their careers where they're just not mature enough to be that head coach yet. But I think as a play caller, he could absolutely thrive in Houston and help Deshaun Watson, who desperately needs that help right now. Let's move on now to some of the other guys who are probably deservedly on the hot seat but have not been fired because only one coach has through four weeks, and that is Bill O'Brien. Let's talk about Adam Gase, who is heading the ship with an abysmal Jets team right now. Does he deserve to keep his job? No, absolutely not. Adam Gase is a fool. I think you <laughs> kick him out the door. He lost to the he lost to Brett Rippon in the Broncos. That's that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, do you think Adam Gase should be fired, Carson? I think it's kind of a redundant question. Of course, I think he should be fired. I don't know if it's <laughs> right now, but by the end of this season, yes, I'm not sure how long he can live off of two years with Denver when obviously he was part of the greatest offense of all time, but he also had some incredible talent. And he's this supposed quarterback whisperer who I think gets too much credit for going to the playoffs with Tannehill in his first year in Miami because we've seen now that Tannehill is just good, I think better than we realized at that time. And he's now in year five as a head coach. He's had one top 20 offense. And yes, obviously, you're not bubbling with talent here in New York. The whole line sucks. The weapons aren't great. But you got to feel like Sam Darnold would be better served with someone else because he hasn't gotten better at all. He is just essentially rookie Sam Darnold still in year three. And maybe part of that falls on him. But when it comes for me to choosing between my third overall pick at quarterback and a coach who has consistently proven that he is not up to par, I will at least try something else and boot the coach and say, let's try to salvage Darnold's career because we're getting near decision time now. This is year three and we haven't seen the jump. I don't think it's out of the question, but if you just keep running it back with Darnold and Gates and expecting different results, then you're not going to get them. No, you're exactly right, and that's why, Carson, you say that the Jets should stick on with Darnold. I think an interesting scenario potentially for the Jets, I think this is where Dabo Swinney goes if he ever makes this jump to the NFL, wow. because I think if Trevor Lawrence declares for the draft and the Jets have the number one pick, they're obviously going to have an open coaching spot. If they have that number one pick, I think you trade Darnold away for an interior offensive lineman for Lawrence. I think you get Lawrence, you get Swinney, and... You have that Clemson culture brought to New York. Uh, if they don't have the number one pick, I don't think that, first of all, I don't think Trevor Lawrence declares for the draft um, if the, uh, it, it'll be his discretion as we saw with like a Peyton Manning scenario back then. Um, if they don't end up with the number one pick, they don't get Swinney. I think they take a swing at maybe a Greg Roman and Roman tries to take a different quarterback. Carson, I think Darnold is done after this year. I think wow. a new head coach comes in, the Jets Either way, we'll get Trevor Lawrence if he comes out and Swinney, or they get Justin Fields and Trey Lance. Either way, with the coaching change, I think a lot of these young guys, if a coach is out the door, I think the quarterback is as well. And sadly, I think this is Darnold's last season in New York. So I'm going to take the opposite approach. I'm going to look at the guy who I th think can save Sam Darnold. And I hate to say it, but I think that Brian Dable would be a home run for this team because they don't have overwhelming receiving talent at any of the skill positions. But Dable is so good schematically that he just draws guys open, essentially. And you look at the strides that Josh Allen has taken in his brief time with Brian Dable. I think there's trust there. And obviously, Allen went from this prospect who was far more raw and had way more question marks than Sam Darnold. And who is the one playing at an MVP level right now? It is Josh Allen. Do I think that that is completely because Allen is just better than Darnold? No, of course not. I think that infrastructure plays a role in that, and that has to be owed to Dable. So he can't magically fix the line and the running back spot, and, I mean, we'll see what Le'Veon even is when he gets healthy again. 
and he can't just stop them from being the New York Jets, but I do think that Dable, as a quarterback guy and a play caller, could actually help Darnold take that step forward. But if Darnold is just done, then obviously it's not as big of a factor, and I think that would be unfortunate because it's just been such a brutal situation for him through three years. Yeah, completely. Uh, See, Carson... (laughs) <laughs> how much do you think Brian Dable impacts the Bills offense overall? How much is it Josh Allen's talent versus Dable's play calling? I think that a huge part of it is Dable's play calling. And he had his ups and downs last year, but I think that this year, leaning into the pass game more to where this offense is never tentative. It is go, 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 aggression at all times. And the dude just schemes up some incredible route trees. Like, I swear to God, these receivers are so open at all times. And yes, part of that is credit to them and being really good route runners. But I also think that Dable is just one of the best offensive minds in football. And I thought he was going to get a head coaching job after the first half against Texas or against Houston last year because he had been so innovative and the Bills were kind of just cruising downfield throughout that half. And then obviously things changed. They didn't score in the second half. But I think that he is shaping up to where he's probably going to be in those conversations soon, and I think that that's really going to hurt the Bills when they lose him. Let's talk now about a guy who is perennially on the hot seat, and that is Dan Quinn, who is also off to an 0-4 start. Does he have to go? Yeah, you have to get rid of Dan Quinn. He's been riding the coattails of that Super Bowl run ever since. Uh, Let me run down some numbers. He's 25-29 and since the Super Bowl appearance. He's blown leads in every game this season. I don't want you to give Dan Quinn any credit. He's supposed to be this defensive guy for this Falcons team. He was the Seahawks DC in 2013 and 2014, carried by the talent on this defense, rode to the Falcons head coaching job. They had the number one offense in 2016 when they went to the Super Bowl. All that credit went to Dan Quinn. It shouldn't have. The QB coach, Matt LaFleur, offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, the two smartest young guys in football, and yet Dan Quinn has kept his job because of these young guys. And let me remind you, in 2016, when their defense went to the Super Bowl, behind the tutelage of Dan Quinn and Richard Smith, they were 27th in the NFL. They weren't even a good defensive team behind this defensive-minded head coach. Uh, Literally a fluke because of the two best offensive minds in football. I I think Dan Quinn is an immediate boot to uh, find another team. You have said everything that I was going to say. He was gifted the most talented secondary probably ever and you could argue 70s Steelers, but in the Legion of Boom, and they were obviously all-time special with him. They continued to be all-time special without him, didn't really take a step back in any way, and Atlanta has never been a good defensive team. This is a defensive coach. They had Kyle Shanahan were scoring 34 points a game, and then the next year with essentially the same personnel scored 22 points a game. So to be in the third straight year now where you're going to miss the playoffs with this kind of offensive talent, it's just inexcusable. I do think the one complicating factor is it seems like the players really trust him and like him, and we had Julio come out and advocate for him passionately last year. At some point, though, I just think that that doesn't matter, and you have to take substantive action and say, this guy has had nothing to do with our success. Our success has been on the offensive end, and he has had nothing to do with that, and right now we have the worst defense in football, and we haven't been much better than that in recent years. So let me ask you, Logan, who is the guy who steps up as the replacement and the savior of this Falcons team? Uh, You pick Brian Dable as the Jets head coach. I'm taking Brian Dable for the Falcons, and the reason why is I don't think Dable leaves a situation like Buffalo. That's why I have trouble taking Eric Bieniemy or uh, Robert... uh, How do you say his last name for the uh, Niners? Saleh. I don't think think any of those guys leaves 
except for extraordinary situations because of the talent that's already in place on those rosters. That's why I think Atlanta fits for Dable. You get Julio Jones, Russell Gage, Calvin Ridley, Hayden Hurst. I mean, already an electric offense. As you say, he built up some great route trees for the Bills. I can't imagine what he can do in Atlanta with all this exceptional talent and a former MVP quarterback in Matt Ryan. And I don't think there's a need for a defensive overhaul. I just think Dan Quinn's a terrible coach. Grady Jarrett is one of the best interior linemen in football. Deion Jones is a great rangy run stopper and coverage guy. It's just this young secondary that you got to coach up. I, I think personally, Dable would relish in all this talent in the offense. You would see Atlanta they're not going to lose that offensive potential. I think there are some serious considerations if Dable gets that job in Atlanta, uh, the coaching that you need on the defensive end to pick up for the lack of what Dan Quinn has not provided. But uh, I think this job is perfect for a guy like Dable and all the offensive talent that he would immediately get in Atlanta. I think it'd be a dream job for Dable. And I think that he would certainly rather have that than the Jets job. The only reason I did look at the Jets is Dable is a really good quarterback guy as far as developing talent there. And you would have that with Darnold in a way you don't with Matt Ryan. I don't think the Falcons need to do anything all that shiny. Because I really think the reason that they're struggling is because in large part of Dan Quinn and just this defensive unit as a whole. I think you can look internally and go to your offensive coordinator and Dirk Cutter, who maybe didn't have a hugely successful tenure in Tampa as the head guy, but did have success at the college level, has engineered some great offenses, and maybe he's not the long-term solution. At the very least, it's a cover now for a year or two, and obviously you want to win immediately because you have this window with Julio and Matt Ryan and Calvin Ridley in this tremendously talented offense, but I just think you need to look to the defensive side of the ball to correct things, but I don't think you need a defensive head coach anymore, and maybe Dan Quinn would have been more successful with this unit if he had specialized more on that end. What do you think about the the cutter hire? Because he's not a guy who's been a tremendously successful head coach. He's been maligned in some respects in that way. Do you think that that would be a mistake? Promoting cutter to head coach? Yeah. Yeah, I think it would, honestly. I, just from what we've seen out of cutter, honestly, if you're going to promote him, I say you do it this season, fire Dan Quinn. And go ahead and suck this season. Earn some draft capital. I, I don't think cutter's a guy that I would hire. It'd be like an Adam Gase hire, in my opinion. Hmm. Interesting. Are you comfortable with him as your OC, though? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he proved that he was capable as an OC. He's not—I feel like still in the NFL to win nowadays, you need that young Shanahan on the floor. You need a guy who's going to be thinking ahead of defenses, and Cutter just isn't that. Fair enough. I don't think he's a long-term home run either. Um, I just don't think that the Falcons need as radical of a change as some of these other teams do. So let's move on now to another coach, and Matt Patricia, who is in his third year with the Lions— not an overwhelming start. What do you think? Is he a goner? Sadly, yes, just because of how Detroit has moved. He has not had immediate success. I think that's Matt Patricia's fault as much as it is Bob Quinn's fault for his drafting. Uh, the Lions have not drafted a pro bowler since 2013 in Darius Slay and Ezekiel Ansah. The Hawkinson pick in 2019, he looks like a mediocre, average tight end. Uh, the Okuda pick could work out, but they just replaced Darius Slay. And in the 2010s, they've drafted three uh, O-linemen in the first round. None of them are Pro Bowl. None of them are starter caliber. So as much as I'd like to blame it all on Matt Patricia, who is 10-25-1 as a head coach, I have to put a little bit of the blame on Bob Quinn. That being said, yeah, I think he's axed. And 
I think the Lions need to look for a defensive head coach. Um, I'm going to go with Matt Eberflus. He's the uh, linebacker. He's the uh, Colts D coordinator. Uh, they've been tremendous this season. And you've seen in the past with these guys who have top-tier defenses, they are immediately snatched up. And while I think you can attribute that to the Colts' defensive prowess, Matt Eberflus at least knows what it is to have this talent on defense, what to look for in the draft, how to scheme up defenses because of how dominant the Colts have been this season, and they need severe help. Um, under Eberflus, the Colts have the number one defense in DVOA, number two run defense, 10 sacks. Uh, I think Eberflus is one of these out-of-the-box kind of Joe Judge hires, but it's something that the Lions need to do. You don't need an assistant. You need a younger guy who is thinking forward in the NFL. Stop hiring these stopgap guys like, um, who was that guy earlier? Jim, uh, Jim Caldwell, Jim Schwartz, like... Get a young guy, plan for the future, please, Detroit. I hate seeing you lose. That's fair. My thing with Matt Patricia is, even though it's year three, it kind of feels like year two because they were three, four, and one last year when Stafford got hurt and then everything went awry and they were 0 and 8. And I don't love Patricia. I don't necessarily think he's a head coach long term in this league. I'm not sure he has the personality. I'm not sure he has the clock management, head coach, decision making abilities. I'm not going to take a decisive stand until he is at least through this season or if things are really bad most of this season, get to week 12 or around there because I do think this defense should probably be slightly better than it is because they have these New England guys who've come over and Harmon and Collins and Flowers, talented players, but for the most part, I just look at this roster and I think, eh, and I know that there were expectations for this team. I know that they sort of became a trendy playoff pick and they're not off to that kind of start, but... I just don't know how much of that falls on Matt Patricia. I haven't been convinced that he is a guy who deserves the job. He's not someone I would go to battle for, but I also think that he deserves to at least ride out through this year with this team when they're healthy and see what he's capable of then. And we're only through four weeks, so I don't think that we can fully count this Lions team out yet, even though they don't look all that promising. Let's talk about a guy who you just mentioned as obviously an off-the-wall hire who was certainly not on many people's radar for a head coaching job, and that is Joe Judge. He's very early into his tenure. Does he deserve to keep this job, or should he be out of there? Uh, I think Joe Judge should keep his job just because the Giants need to show that they have confidence in their own hire. And you don't want to ruin him mentally, because if he gets canned after you know one season where they don't win a lot of games with a very untalented roster, you're going to crush his soul. Um, and it's not really on Judge at this point. They have no O-line. I think the Giants front office made a smart move by drafting Andrew Thomas. And if they can continue to invest capital in here, maybe we see some success out of Saquon and Daniel Jones. But at this point, I can't really blame all of this on Joe Judge. That being said, I am scared for him because of the Giants front office traditionally moving on from guys who don't produce Shermer five and 11 and then four and 12 fired after two seasons. And then Ben McAdoo actually went 11 and five and then three and 13 and he's fired after two seasons. Uh, the front office for the Giants has proven time and time again that they need results to keep you on. Coughlin, Fassel, Parcells all needed at least a Super Bowl appearance to stay on as head coach. I want Judge to hang on because I believe in him. I think that he is one of these smart uh, younger guys who is, I think he's a little further along defensively than offensively, but uh, it's too early to fire Joe Judge. If this just comes down to basic philosophy for me. Unless it's Freddie Kitchens, I don't think you should be fired after one year. And yes, maybe this hire doesn't look like a home run right now. The Giants are an ugly 0-4, scoring 11.8 points per game. But my thing is just, this roster sucks. This team is going to suck with or without Judge. The guys had four games, and I'm just not going to go there. So I understand results-wise why his name might be brought up in those conversations, but 
it's way too early for me to make an assessment like that. And it's nice to see, Logan, that you are not calling for someone's head here because you were four for four at the start. <laughs> you were just saying, get him out of here. Get him out of here. Get him out of here. And Joe Judge, there's a little sympathy because it's been four games. And I, I just think you can't have a guy on that tight of a string. It's a brutal situation to take on. It's his first head coaching job. And you got to give him a little bit of a leash there. Let's talk about a guy who is really on the polar opposite end of candidates in this conversation. And Mike Zimmer, who has been a successful coach is deep into his tenure in Minnesota, but obviously a really ugly start to this season for the Vikings. What do you think about his status? No, you can't fire Mike Zimmer. I mean, he has proven time and time again his prowess as a defensive head coach. Four top ten defenses as a head coach with Minnesota, a one number one defense. And and this team from last year to this year, we already know, have suffered a lot of losses. Rhodes, Joseph, Griffin... I just think that talent-wise, this Vikings team is different. Uh, Zimmer is a head coach. The Bengals were at their best when he was their D coordinator uh, in you know in the early 2010s. Dallas had a good defense in the early 2000s. Zimmer has, has a great track record, and you can't get rid of him. He's also had a lot more organizational success with the Vikings than you saw before. They were in the... They were in the crapper from that, you know, that dark zone from Brett Favre with Tavares Jackson. Zimmer's proven. And I think this is just a talent issue with this season. I think the Vikings going to the draft this offseason, they get some guys in their secondary that can play around Anthony Harris and Harrison Smith. You get a couple linebackers. I think they just need to take this season as a rebuilding year, build up what pieces you're missing, and try to build a winning team around Kirk Cousins. But now is not the time for Zimmer to get moved on from. Zimmer is not void of blame with the Vikings' struggles throughout this early part of the season, and you mentioned the losses on the defensive end. This unit should still be better than that because they have been flat-out bad. But I also think, as you mentioned, when he's coached them to five straight 500-plus seasons and top 10 defenses, and they're 58-41-1 under him, he is a brilliant culture guy. He has been, for the most part, a great defensive coach. And yes, they should be better on both ends, but I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that this is a team that was really damaged by some of their losses in the offseason in a way that... I did not even anticipate because I just look at the Vikings as a team that has been good no matter what over the past half decade. And I think largely some of the credit for that goes to Zimmer. And this was a year when they haven't been able to compensate for that. But I think that you can't be that heartless. Look at Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn is in his third straight year of underachievement. And there's still questions about whether or not he's going to be gone. This is the first year to me where I can look at a Zimmer-led Vikings team and say they should be better than they are. And I'm not going to jump on that because maybe it's just an off year. And I don't see substantive things with his coaching ability that make me think he's not deserving of this job because he's been so good at it for so long. So let's move on now. We're done talking head coaches. We are going to talk about one coordinator here, though, and if he is deserving of keeping or losing his job. And that is Mike Nolan of the Dallas Cowboys defense. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, not only because he's a horrible play caller who is obviously not adapted to modern NFL offenses, but more importantly, you are wasting good years of this Dallas Cowboys offense. I mean, Kellen Moore, as you mentioned, he's a genius. He's the next McVay. He's the next Shanahan. We've seen it with talent on this offense with Dak Prescott, with Ezekiel Elliott. I think the most foolish move that Jerry Jones made, not hiring McCarthy, but letting McCarthy bring in his own coordinators. Rod Marinelli, I think his lowest defense at any time, at any point with the Cowboys, was 15th in the league. And you're just going to throw that to the side. I mean, they had a top five, a top six defense, and you just throw Marinelli to the side. Let's bring in a guy who hasn't coached since 2014. Foolish. Uh, the 32nd-ranked defense in the NFL now, I think the Cowboys should move on from him to a guy like 
Chris Kosarek, maybe uh, 49ers D-line coach, just because, again, I don't think Sally's leaving, who'd be an awesome hire, but I, it's either Mike Nolan leaves or Jerry Jones leaves the organization as a whole because uh, this Cowboys team has got issues. If Jerry leaves under his own will, I will jump off of a building. Listen, <laughs> I think that Mike Nolan has to be gone. It's certainly atypical to fire a coordinator midseason. I think they might be there at this point when you're letting up 36.5 points per game. You can say whatever you want about the personnel. That is inexcusable. And this team should be a 10-plus win squad when you look at the offensive talent, and they are currently an ugly 1-3, and and they should be 0-4. And And the only reason they are surviving is because Dak is throwing for 400 yards a game, and they have Ezekiel Elliott in the best receiving core in football. It has nothing to do with Mike Nolan, who, frankly, I'm not sure has ever done anything impressive in his entire career coaching and coordinating. Some of these guys just stick around because I think that they know somebody, and they've done this job before, so then people are like, Oh, he's been a defensive coordinator before. Yeah, but not a very good one. So I don't think that he's a guy who deserves the benefit of the doubt here. He's like 50, and he's been around the league for a long time, and he's never been great at this. So bye-bye, Mike Nolan. Promote internally whoever is next in line, in your opinion, for this defensive job. And then after this year, probably look completely out of the house. Maybe bring back Marinelli if you can, because it kind of reminds me of with the Rockets. Oh, what was that guy's name? Their specialist who they had who coach that unit up to where they were a top 10 defense and then he was gone and then that defense fell off for the Cowboys it's kind of the same thing they have that remarkable offense they just need to be solid defensively and they had that guy and they no longer have that guy so that's enough on the coaching circle let's talk about some quarterbacks who are in the same position as far as their jobs are up in the air and the first one is Dwayne Haskins who has been benched now for Kyle Allen in a move that I think caught some of us off guard what are your thoughts on that you know, I love Ron Rivera. I think he's a great defensive mind. He's a great coach that you can cheer for, but this is a horrible decision. It's coming after Dwayne Haskins has his arguably, you know, best game of the season versus the fourth best defense in the NFL. He didn't turn the ball over. He ran in a touchdown. He completed 71% of his passes, 314 yards, his best passer rating the season. And I know he wasn't slinging the ball downfield. A lot of his yardage came by Antonio Gibson just getting out of the backfield again. The Ravens are a top-five defense in football. And while we're on weapons, for Washington, Terry McLaurin and Dwayne Haskins clearly have a great connection on the field from their Ohio State days. I just I can't get through my mind why you would take a budding quarterback who I have confidence in, and you turn it over to a third-year guy who had 16 picks and 13 fumbles last season. I was a Kyle Allen supporter. I liked what I saw in Car- what I saw in Carolina. He he completed some tough balls, but when you're turning the ball over like that. It just doesn't make any sense to me why he has given up on Haskins this early, and this could potentially derail Haskins' career and his confidence. I love Riverboat Ron, but this is a bad gamble. Here's my thinking, and why I think that this decision makes some modicum of sense. Because all the reports are that it has been driven by problematic work habits and a lack of effort and focus from Dwayne Haskins once he got that starting job locked up. And that, to me, is a huge red flag because when you are in the NFL, you forfeit your right to the job when you don't work hard, even if you are slightly better than the alternative. So under normal circumstances, do I believe in a first-round quarterback being pulled after 11 career starts on a bad team without a great alternative? Of course not. But I think that this may be an exception because Haskins is a guy who has talent, 
He hasn't been great. He also hasn't been abysmal. And I think that this is the kind of move that is hopefully going to get him back on track because Allen is not going to keep this job in a convincing way. He obviously had a great first few weeks in Carolina and then it all crumbled. I think that he's a guy who does not perform well under pressure. He's a turnover machine. He gets flustered. And I think that this is kind of just a message to get Haskins back on track. And I don't think that it lasts because I think we're going to see a couple ugly weeks of Kyle Allen. And then it's going to be, all right, Dwayne, will you come back and start for us again? We need at least some sense of hope. And Kyle Allen is not bringing us. So what, do you think this is more to light a fire under Haskins more of anything? Uh... Kind of. I think when you have a guy who is in his second year and hasn't been great and feels entitled to not have to work hard for his job, you got to do something there because... It's do or die time with these young guys. We see quarterbacks are defined so early in their careers by the situations that they are brought into, by their approach, by their work ethic, by their mentality. Look at Josh Rosen. If you're going to point at something that has stood out about him as far as a flaw, it was arrogance from the start. It was entitlement. And where is he now? He's bouncing around on practice squads. So... I think you got to catch that stuff early, and Ron Rivera is a strong NFL head coach. He's a culture guy. He's aware of these things, and I don't think this is a football decision as much as it is a personal human decision. Okay, so based off that, you would agree in saying that Kyle Allen does not give this Redskins team the best chance to win? Definitely not. I, then that's why I don't understand it is, honestly, Carson, <laughs> in this bad a division, the Redskins aren't that far off from being able to compete. This defense is okay. I think that, <laughs> I don't think they're nearly as talented as the Cowboys, but I think if you put Haskins out there, maybe some magic happens and maybe you luck into competing for the NFC East with three or four weeks to go. But Kyle Allen to me just sinks your ship completely. Long term, it's pretty hard for me to see Washington actually competing. It's been an ugly four weeks defensively from the Cowboys, but they just have such a different level of firepower and to me, they're on different spectrums of the one and three standings. I don't think that Allen brings them up a level. I think Allen could probably hurt them. I also don't think Dwayne Haskins is playing to a level where you're like, oh no, we're losing out on Dwayne Haskins. Like, yes, he obviously is the more gifted in. He's made some nice decisions out of the pocket and some nice throws and obviously can move around a little bit as well. But he's also had a few turnovers and hasn't been that exceptional decision maker, hasn't been overwhelmingly efficient. So if you got to light a fire under him, do it. And I trust Ron Rivera in that respect. Uh, do you think with him being bumped down to third string, <laughs> do we see do we see Joe Theismann, Alex Smith, do we see him before Dwayne Haskins again? Alex Smith, honestly, and I have no idea how mobile or healthy he is. I know that he's obviously out of the weeds as far as the real health concerns, which is great. But you got to think that he's probably the best quarterback in that room if he's anything like what we've seen from him in the past because he's at least not going to turn the ball over and beat you. And which is so interesting because he was that wild gunslinger early in his career. And then he just completely flipped the polar opposite. And maybe Haskins and Kyle Allen both need a little bit of that being reined in, especially Kyle Allen, because that dude is just a Bronco. He's going to do some crazy stuff out there. Well, and honestly, Carson, it's kind of funny with the comparisons that you can draw between Smith and Haskins, because Smith got his job taken away by a guy like, you know, Damon Heward in 2008. And uh, it was a terrible QB room. So maybe Smith can pass a little bit of that and entitlement down on Haskins and uh, coach him up veteranly. That's what I hope, hope to see. And I just hope that we see Dwayne Haskins have a solid career because obviously it's a tumultuous start. He was not brought into a good situation. And now I think that he has a head coach who in his own way, at least from my perspective, seems like he's looking out for him and trying to do what's best for him long-term. Let's talk about another young guy who is on the flip side of this and that he is gunning for a job and 
might deserve it at this point, and that is Tua Tungavailoa and the Miami Dolphins. Fitzpatrick has been starting, hasn't exactly been very convincing. Who do you think deserves that job at this point? I think the Dolphins are going to keep Ryan Fitzpatrick in the role just because, uh, honestly, I think if I was the Dolphins staff, I think they're coaching Tua up for next season because this Dolphins team isn't far off. I think they're a pretty decent squad. Only a 10-point loss to a Patriots team. Uh, Their offense turned the ball over three times. Three-point loss to the Bills, although that game was less close than the box score suggests with their late score. Um, And then they dropped 31 points in a blowout to the Jags. I don't think Fitzpatrick's job is in jeopardy anytime soon. I think they're planning on Fitzpatrick just coaching and bringing him up, getting too accustomed to the game and what that regimen is like in the NFL. But honestly, like I said, Carson, I don't think this team is far off. I think if their schedule wasn't so hard, I would genuinely pick this team to make the playoffs, but they've got the Niners, Rams, Cardinals, Chiefs, Patriots, Raiders, Bills, all probably going to be losses. Uh, So I don't think they turn to Tua unless Fitzpatrick gets hurt. But hear me out. This offensive line is ready to go. A lefty quarterback on their right side. Jesse Davis has not allowed a single snap, uh, a sack. He has not taken a single penalty. He has played every single snap for this offense. So... I think at any point this Dolphins team is ready for a young Tua to step in and win them some football games, but I don't think that time is this year whatsoever. Here's where I'm going to disagree with you. You talked about the difficulty of the schedule, but they're about to have an opportunity to go out there and get some wins, and there's a seventh playoff spot available in the AFC, and there is not a convincing option there right now, so you let Fitzy take on the Niners' defense. I don't really think that Tua would be rattled by anything in his first start. I think that he is that kind of composed guy. I mean, we saw him make his debut on the national stage winning a national title, so I think that tells you the kind of guy that he is. But obviously, they're not going to make the switch now. It's The game is about to take place. And then after the Niners, it's a pretty favorable stretch of the schedule. They go Broncos, Chargers, Rams, Cardinals, Jets, Jets, Bengals. The Dolphins could totally go 5-2 and two over that stretch, and then you're back at 500, and you're in maybe the playoff conversation in the AFC, and what's most important is when a rookie has the opportunity to do that, that is so important because we talked about how much confidence affects the, guy, the trajectory of these guys' careers immediately. Who knows what Ryan Leaf would have been if he was brought into a better situation or what Josh Rosen would be looking right now. There are so many hypotheticals, and I think that... When Tua has the opportunity to get that confidence immediately, there's always trepidation about bringing in rookie quarterbacks because they're in bad situations. But we have also seen that if they're in a good situation and you put them in immediately, that can be great because Fitzy, I love the guy, has not been good. And Brian Flores has shown, we saw it last year when the Dolphins were the laughing stock of the league and then they ended up turning it around and making it competitive, that he wants to win games. And this O-line is solid. There are some talented receivers and tight ends on this team and Devontae Parker and Isaiah Ford and Mike Kosicki, who I think has the potential to be really one of the best tight ends in football. He is that kind of talented player, just doesn't have the consistent production, partly because he's got a wild man throwing the ball to him at all times. So... This quarterback class is looking like it has the potential to be something special, and we anticipated that before. Burrow has been so impressive given the circumstances. Justin Herbert, who I think people would have thought is not the kind of week two rookie year starter, has been really good, and Tua might be the most pro-ready of all of them in the best situation as far as winning games, and I think they got to take advantage of that if they want to win games. I just think Tua's the better guy. So let me ask you then, where is the resistance coming from on your end? If they're in a competent football situation, it's not like two is going to go out there and die. It's not Cincinnati. 
Well, no, it's more like a theory, I guess. I think that it's just smarter to let him get accustomed to the game. Look, as you mentioned with Herbert, I was going to bring him up. Herbert has looked tremendous in the three games, and he hasn't won a single one. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's the endless cycle of Ryan Fitzpatrick, so it's only a matter of time until we get Tua. Ryan will throw four picks in a game. The Dolphins fans are super angry, and we'll get Tua. I guess my pushback is just, I don't know. I don't think it's time. I don't think it's, uh, I think he needs a little more time to recover from his injuries, I guess, and I just don't think it's time, Carson. <laughs> Maybe for a more fragile rookie quarterback, I would agree with you, but I think Tua is special in his mental toughness and his ability. The dude can make just about every throw there is. He's an excellent decision maker. He can thrive in that game manager role if they need them to, if they need him to. He's also a dynamic playmaker outside the pocket, and I just trust the guy to go out there and win me football games, even as a rookie, certainly more than Fitz, who's not having one of his four-week magical stretches that he gets into. He's just been bad, and I don't see it getting better on the horizon, although you never know with him because when the expectations go down, his performance tends to go up, so maybe he's tanking just so then he can lead this team on a playoff push, but I would rather have two out there. He's the future, and the sitting the quarterback behind another quarterback, to me, only makes sense when that quarterback is actually teaching them something of value, or it's such a perilous situation where you don't want them playing football. And I don't think Tua is getting that from Ryan Fitzpatrick right now, and I don't think that this is a bad situation for Tua to play football in. You don't think Fitzpatrick's teaching Tua anything? Probably like advanced math and how to have a cool <laughs> beard. But I don't think he... What can he teach Tua? Tua's going to be a thousand times better than him. Tua has more talent in his fingertip then Fitzy has in that big old bushy beard. Fitzpatrick teaches him how to stick around the league. He was a seventh round pick. He tells him, hey man, uh, I wasn't a top pick. I worked my butt off to stay in the league. I figure you can teach him work ethic at least. I think Tua knows work ethic, man. He took the job from a guy who was the quarterback of a national title winning team and was just convincingly better. I have just, I have so much faith in Tua because we saw that level of production from him time and time again and winning in college, and he's not A.J. McCarron. He has clearly translatable skills and the approach and the confidence of a quality NFL quarterback, and I think we got to stop dancing around it because we know he's going to come in week 9 or 10. It happens every year. People get antsy, and then they just bring in the young guy anyways. Might as well do it earlier when your football team is actually solid and he's the better option. So let's wrap up this whole show with a bit of a longer segment because at the end of last week's show, we sort of did a rushed power rankings, but I want to get more into that now and flesh that out a little bit. So let's go through our top 10 in football right now because we've had some mixed results from some teams that maybe we expected would be a little better. We've had a couple of surprise impressive teams, and obviously everything has been thrown into question by some COVID scares around football. But let's start with number 10. Who do you as the number 10 team in football? Uh, I have the Los Angeles Rams here, and I thought they might miss my list completely because their offense was stagnant against one of the worst teams in football. The Giants only won by eight, but uh, Jared Goff on the whole looks rejuvenated because of a running game this season for Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson. A great dual threat backfield. Uh, Brown, 183, two touchdowns on the year. Henderson, 222 and two touchdowns. And then you bring in their great receiving core, uh, Cooper Cup. It looks like one of the best receivers in football. He's such a tremendous route runner. Uh, Tyler Higby has been out there catching passes and been a great red zone target for uh, Goff. 
Um, Robert Woods is consistent as ever. And then you've got a young star in Josh Reynolds, who I think could be one of the best wideouts in football. Uh, and then on the defensive side of the ball, you have two of the best defensive players in football, Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. They're the number six defense by points per game this season. I think this Rams team is very good, but they're not great. Uh, you saw them their close finish against the Bills. I think that gives me hope for moving forward in this season. They can compete against MVP caliber quarterbacks, Josh Allen, and great defenses. Uh, so they're at number 10. I don't have a whole lot of confidence moving forward in the Rams as to win their division. I think the Seahawks or the Niners will take them, but it's a very good team. I have the Rams a few spots higher, and I do think that against the Giants, we saw their offense at its worst. For the most part, though, it's kind of just been a machine because you have Henderson and Brown producing at running back, some excellent receivers, and I almost feel like it doesn't matter who's there as long as Sean McVay is. And then to me, the decisive factor on the other end is I think they have one of the best pass rushers in football, and their three wins thus far versus the NFC East. They have another one coming probably in Washington in Week 5, but they've also been convincing wins for the most part, and I do think this is a good Rams team. My number 10 is the New Orleans Saints, who maybe should be higher up long-term. The performance obviously hasn't quite been there because they're only 2-2, two and two, but when I look at this team offensively, they are still the cream of the crop. Breeze maybe doesn't have the same arm strength he used to, but is controlling games, and a huge part of that is owes to Alvin Kamara, who is unstoppable and is basically catching every ball in the backfield and is still taking it for 10-plus yards every time. The dude is just an automatic first down, and it's interesting to me that he had that down rushing season last year. Obviously, he's always a receiving weapon, but we've seen him kick that efficiency right back up rushing the ball. Receiving, he is as dynamic a threat as any running back in football, and I think that that includes Christian McCaffrey at this point. I do wonder about this defense, though, because they're letting up 31 a game. They haven't really convincingly put a stop to anyone yet, so I certainly trust Breeze and company enough to have them in here because they're going to put up points on you no matter what. But I do think we've seen them struggle against some of the better offenses in football, and I don't know if that defense holds up in the same way that it did over their past couple 13-3 and seasons. Yeah, I left the Saints off my list. I just I haven't liked enough out of what I've seen out of their defense, and Drew Brees' arm is concerning. I just think they're a lot better teams than we've seen produce uh, over the first few weeks. So let's get on to one of those better teams then. Who do you have at nine? I have the New England Patriots, and I think the Patriots have certainly played better than the ninth best team in football. I think they could be top five, honestly, if the wow. refs had officiated fairly against Kansas City. That was a bogus fumble call that should have been a TD for New England. And had Cam Newton been healthy, I have full confidence that the Patriots take out the Chiefs. Uh, that being said, Carson, you came on here and said that this defense has regressed. I don't think they have regressed, have regressed significantly, as you may have suggested. Um mostly because they still have the best weapon on their team, and that's the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick. He still knows how to scheme against guys. He schemed against Mahomes, running a little bit more of you know that DE edge contain and dropping guys into zones a little more cleverly. Uh, right now, they have the eighth-ranked uh, defense in football, ninth in opponents' yards per game, and they're second in the NFL in takeaways eight total. They have not been the best at holding on to the football, three fumbles and five interceptions, but we've seen this offense with a fully healthy Cam Newton, and they're dangerous. They pounded the Raiders, lost to the Seahawks on the last play of the game. Uh, I think the Patriots are an easy playoff team and a potential upset in the playoffs if they have got former MVP Cam Newton. Here's my thing with the Pats. When I say the defense has dropped off, I still think it's a very good defense, but they let up 14 points a game last year. The reason they were such a good team is because they had genuinely one of the best defenses of all time, and now they're allowing 23 a game, and that's good, obviously. They're a talented unit, but 
I think we'll see what they're capable of offensively with Cam out there consistently because they did have a pretty great defensive showing against the Chiefs, holding them to 26 and making them work for a lot of those points. At the same time, they were incompetent offensively because of who they were trotting out at quarterback without Cam. So we'll see if they can recover in that respect. They are not on my list as of now, but I do think that if that result over the Seahawks flips and if they have Cam against the Chiefs and that's a more competitive game, then I might be thinking about this team in a different light. Right now, I just don't think the defense can single-handedly carry them like they did last year, and I need to see consistently Cam out there and producing at a high level. My number nine is the team that Tom Brady jumped ship to, and that is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are obviously coming off of a brutal loss last night against the Chicago Bears, but I'm just convinced by this offense. I think that the weapons are completely there. Brady continues to not regress and just sustain the level of play that he's been at recently. The defense is playing well. Ronald Jones has been pretty consistently productive at running back for them in the one week when he wasn't. Fournette was outstanding, so the run game has been good overall. And I look at some of the stretches we've seen from them offensively when everything is clicking, like in the second half versus the Chargers, when they just looked unstoppable. They also blew out the Broncos and Panthers with really good performances on both ends of the ball. And the offense sputtered a little bit more against the Bears, and they probably should have won that game talent-wise. They didn't. I just don't think that that knocks them out of this conversation to me. I still think they're a better team than the Bears, for example, because I have so much more faith in this offense, and that's kind of where I fall on them. Let's move on. Who do you have at number eight? I also have the Buccaneers uh, here at eight, and uh, I was asleep on their defense, Carson. I did not have nearly as much confidence as I should have. This pass rush is great. JPP, Sue, uh, Vita Vea has been one of the best interior D linemen in football this season. Uh, he's a guy you need to watch tape on. Uh, Devin White and Levante David, uh, potentially the best linebacking uh, inside linebacking duo in football as well, at least run-stopping and pure tackling. Antoine Woodfield Jr. has been tremendous on the backside. I, I have a lot more confidence in this defense than I used to. Offensively, uh, I had them at eight just because, I don't know, this offensive line looked really bad against the Bears, and I mean, that's a tough assignment for any young O-line, Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks, but from what I've seen out of Brady, there's been no regression. He's still got a great connection with Mike Evans, Godwin, and Scotty Miller. Um, I think that their defense is really solid. That's where their strengths lie. Uh, the Bears game was just so concerning with their offensive line. They looked just out of sync. Brady got flustered, but I don't expect that continuing. I expect the O-line and Brady to have a little more cohesion as the season moves along just because they played longer together. Uh, but this is a very good team. I think you made a good point about the defense. This defense was good last year. They were just dealing with a short field half of their possessions because Jameis was turning it over every time. And so obviously they're going to allow a few more points than others, but by DVOA, they rated well. And I think that the talent was apparent. Speaking of great defenses, my number eight is the best defense in football right now. And I don't think that they sustain that level, but I have the Indianapolis Colts who I picked to win the division. I'm feeling great about that pick right now because since a not great week one showing versus the Jags, when they let up 27. They have since then let up 29 points in three weeks with seven takeaways. And you can argue the takeaways aren't sustainable, but this secondary is doing something else right now. And Rivers has been okay. The offense is just okay. But I think when you talk about a three-level defense, the linebacking core is excellent. The secondary is great. The pass rush is formidable. I just think they're a top five defense in football. And even if they don't sustain this level of turnovers and scores off turnovers, because they've had a couple of defensive touchdowns, I still think it's a tremendous strength for this team, and I think that Rivers can kind of only go up because 
Obviously, last year, he was not very good, but he's sort of playing at that level right now. And if we can get even a slice of two years ago, Philip Rivers, which maybe he just doesn't have that anymore because we haven't seen it now for 20 weeks. But if he can summon that up a little bit, he's not in a position like last year where he had to force the issue as much. He can do a little bit more game managing. And then all they need is is a big drive or two from him for the most part. And that can put them over the top because they're not letting teams score more than 15 points right now. And I think they're really good. I think that they are convincingly the best team in the AFC South, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I changed my mind, Carson. Uh, you've sold me enough on them. I have the Colts at seven in my power rankings. Uh, I'm picking them to take the AFC South now just because the AFC South stinks and the Titans may not even finish the season. Uh, as much as I hate putting the Bucks and Brady at eight, I hate putting Phillip Rivers even higher. <laughs> uh, as you said, though, seriously, the Colts may have the best defense in football. Number one in opponent yards per game, in opponent pass yards per game, fourth in opponent rushing yards per game, and first in opponent points per I mean, they just, they swept the table. And Xavier Rhodes is only allowing 50% completion on targets in his direction. He's also got two picks and five pass deflections. Uh, Devin White and Levante David may be the best linebacking duo in football. Darius Leonard is the best middle linebacker in football. Justin Houston and Buckner have been hounding QBs this season. As you said, though, I think the limiting factor on this team is still the arm of Phillip Rivers. All he has to do is not turn the ball over. He's got three picks and a fumble so far during the year, but... The promising factor for Rivers, 73% completion. That's what the Colts need. They need this Tom Brady, nickel and dime, completing passes offense. And I think Rivers can do that with the weapons around him. Pascal, Ali Cox, T.Y. Hilton have all connected well. And don't forget the Colts have the best O-line in football with one of the best rookie running backs in Jonathan Taylor. There's too much talent on this roster. There's too many weapons. They have the best O-line. They have the best defense. They are just tough in the trenches. And honestly, if the Steelers or Ravens drop a game moving forward, I think the Colts may very well bounce into my top five as much as I can't stand that man under center. What's interesting is I think we'll see what is the ceiling of a modern NFL team that doesn't have a truly great dynamic offense because I think that's what the Colts are going to end up being a little bit like last year's Patriots team where they were solid offensively but remarkable defensively and obviously they had shortcomings in the playoffs because with an older quarterback without overwhelming weapons they weren't able to generate that 30 point performance that they might have needed. We'll see what T.Y. Hilton is for the rest of the season because he's been up and down and hasn't been the same T.Y. now for a couple years, and maybe he's just not there. I think Mo Cox is their leading receiver right now, which is an interesting dynamic, but it's all about the defense for the most part. At number seven, I have the Rams. I think we already talked about them enough, but what's interesting is you came into this season higher on the Rams. I was a little bit more skeptical. I was like, where have they really improved from last year? And I think the answer is just defensively for the most part and I also think that this offense is always going to be solid no matter what as long as you have Goff and Woods and Cup you can kind of put in whoever at running back and yes they're not going to be the Rams of old because Gurley was that kind of running back who truly did affect the game and there's not many of them but he was that special because of his versatility as a receiver too and they don't have that anymore let's move on into your number six who do you have I have the Baltimore Ravens here. I mean, I don't think, I think people overreacted majorly to the Chiefs game. The Ravens are still the team we thought they were. They're a get the lead in ball control team. There's nothing wrong with that. This defense is still elite despite what Pat Mahomes did to it. I want to remind everyone that a 3 and 1 Browns team that is now hitting their stride offensively scored six points against them. I mean, come on. Uh, Patrick Queen has been absolutely outstanding at middle linebacker for this team. He's been hounding uh, running backs. Chuck Clark at safety is such a great tackler. Uh, Marlon Humphrey's an elite corner. I mean, the Chiefs showed us the blueprint, and I think the Chiefs are probably one of the only teams that can do that to the Ravens because of who they have on the D-line. Uh, Frank Clark and 
uh, who Chris Jones. So I don't think many teams can do this to the Ravens, but they've still got the MVP. Like, don't don't sell don't sell on the Ravens. They're still a tremendous team. They're still going to be a top three seed in the AFC. I hope this doesn't upset you, Logan, but I have the Steelers at number six, one spot behind the Baltimore Ravens. And I think the Steelers have been great. They haven't really beaten anyone worth anything yet, and they haven't been maybe explosive on offense, but they're clearly talented there. I think this defense may be the best in the league. I also think the Ravens' defense may be the best in the league. And the Steelers are going to put up points. They're obviously going to wreak havoc with that pass rush. There's too many weapons. There's a good line, and they're a really solid all-around football team. The reason I have the Ravens at 5-1 spot higher is there's just talent everywhere on this defense, and they have suffocated everyone but the Chiefs, and I do think that I thought about having the Ravens higher because Lamar and this all-around rushing attack is so dynamic, and there's a reason they were truly one of the greatest regular season teams of all time last year. I've made the Milwaukee Bucks comparison before, and I will make it again. I do think that they are a little bit formulaic, and... They are a bit of a one-trick pony in the sense that it's difficult for them against the biggest team, against the best teams if they get behind. I'm not sure how they respond. So it may be stupid, but I do trust some other quarterbacks more than Lamar. And I do think that a great offense is more valuable than a great defense. And the offenses that I have above the Ravens, I trust a little bit more. At the same time, I just think they're a slightly better team offensively than the Steelers and maybe defensively at well as crazy as that is to say the Steelers are so incredible on that end but the Ravens are right there they were last year and it was their defense that stepped up more in the biggest moments than their offense and I would not be surprised if that was the case again this year I'm, I'm gonna push back on that a little bit uh, I'm pulling up the specific game here uh, I think we played last season against Baltimore with Carson I want you to guess who we had at quarterback in week four you know who it is Mason we had Mason Rudolph in a quarterback. We lost by three points, and we forced, uh, I believe, three turnovers on Lamar Jackson. He had a fumble. And, no, we forced four, excuse me. He had three picks and a fumble. I remember. Um, Yeah, I, I, I agree with the... I think the Ravens have a little bit more dynamic offense just because of the weapon that is at quarterback for them in Lamar Jackson. We just don't have that dominant athlete. We have a aging, injured, sore Ben Roethlisberger at QB. But I think you make some good points. Uh, we are still one of the best defenses in football. I would love to have some new info on this team after we absolutely destroyed the Titans, but obviously we don't because coronavirus. Uh, I just think that for the Steelers, I don't think any other team can offer the amount of defensive superpower that we have. I mean, we have seven Pro Bowl caliber players in our defense. Devin Bush, Minka Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden, Bud Dupree, Cam Hayward, Stephon Tewitt, and TJ Watt. I don't think any other team has that kind of star power on defense, and that's why I have them over the Ravens. I think our offenses are actually comparable with what we've seen out of Ben. Our pass protection has been better this season, but I understand we haven't... Uh, we're going to see an awesome Ravens-Steelers showdown this season if Big Ben is healthy, and I can't wait for my Steelers to smear the... Oh, we're going to crush them, and I'm going to laugh at you. Nice. My thing is just, if the Ravens hadn't played the Chiefs, they would have obliterated the three teams that they have played thus far in a way that the Steelers haven't. And I do think it matters that this team was 14-2 and two and scored 33 points a game last year. So do you have the Steelers at five then? So let's move a little quicker through the top four. We're going to have the same group of teams. Who do you have in that fourth spot? Uh, I have your Buffalo Bills. I mean, while Josh Allen is playing MVP caliber football, you have to have the Bills up here. Uh, 1,300 yards, 15 total touchdowns, the 
fifth-ranked offense in the NFL. That's nasty. I mean, Devin Singletary has been an awesome all-purpose back so far. I'm glad I picked him up in fantasy. I'm glad I watched a ton of Bills games with you last year to understand how great a how great and agile, what a shifty back he is. Um, I think with a healthy Josh Norman Carson, I think you guys easily have the best secondary in the NFL with Jordan Poyer, with Micah Hyde, with uh, the best corner in the game, Trey White. I know they have a lot of close finishes in nearly every game, but Allen had the game-winning drive against the Rams. Um, the Raiders and Dolphins games were not as close as they seemed by the box score. 4-0, this team wins close games, just like Josh Allen did last year. Four fourth-quarter comebacks and five game-winning drives. I trust the Bills in close games, and that's why they're up here. I have them at number four as well, and obviously Allen drives that. It has just been effortless from him. The weapons are phenomenal. The line is playing really well. The only reason I don't have them higher is... I don't think this defense is quite as good as last year's, even though it retains most of the same personnel. I feel like the secondary hasn't been quite as airtight, and I think that Hyde and Poyer have been maybe the best safety tandem in football, or at least in that conversation for the past few years. I think we've seen a little slippage there. Trey, through four weeks, hasn't quite been as dominant, and he's still obviously elite, but... They've never had that signature pass rusher. They've never been defined by that. It's been a great team defense on all three levels, and I still think that it's a good unit for sure. I'm just not sure it's the second scoring defense caliber unit like last year's was, and maybe they get there, but I just don't feel like they're quite there right now. Uh, you mentioned the lack of a dominant pass rusher. Do you think the Bills are seriously limited as we get into crunch time, as they play good quarterbacks and great teams? Do you think they need it to win a Super Bowl or you know get to a conference championship? Maybe they do. But I do think that this defense was able to survive and be elite without it last year, and we'll see if they're able to sustain that. Let's get real quick through the top three. Who do you have third? Uh, three, I have the Seattle Seahawks. And what astounds me about them is every team that is allowed more points than them, uh, they're 21st ranked points per game-wise. Uh, other, They all have a losing record outside of the Browns, who are somehow 3-1, and one, and the Raiders, who sit at 2-2. Two and two. Uh, such a unique roster. I mean, Russell Wilson has been playing MVP ball as well. 16 touchdowns, 75% completion. Chris Carson has been doing a great job. This offense has just been clicking. It's the reason they stay in games. And while this D-line, as you've heard it time and time again, they are so mediocre at pass rushing, only six sacks, Seattle's run-stopping is great. Third in the league, uh, Benson Mayowa, uh, my I don't know how to pronounce his name. I'm going to be honest. Mayowa, I'm going to go with, uh, has been great at edge setting for this team. And Bobby Wagner and Jamal Adams have been doing a tremendous job of of getting in the box and making tackles. They don't make sense whatsoever. This offense is great, though, and they're at three. They were my Super Bowl pick, at least, to get there out of the NFC before the season. I have dropped them below one other NFC competitor, and the reason is that their defense just hasn't stopped anybody, and the pass rush does concern me. When Jamal Adams has two of your six sacks, not great. The linebacking core is really good. The secondary is talented. I just worry about the front getting pressure, but... Listen, Russell Wilson is a man on a mission right now. He single-handedly makes this team a contender, which I think is comparable to our number two team, I assume, who just has a little more on the defensive end as well. I have the Green Bay Packers there. Do you concur? I also do. And I think the reason is this team went 13-3 and last year, scoring 23.5 points per game. I thought they were a little fluky. I thought they got exposed in the playoffs, and now they're scoring 38 a game. We're just getting one of those seasons from Rodgers where it doesn't matter who he's throwing to. Could be Robert Tanyan, could be Alan Lazard. And their pass rush is just more impressive. Zadarius Smith is showing that he is truly of the elite tier there with five sacks already. 
when you hold the Falcons to 16 points, that's impressive. They're never going to struggle scoring. I trust them a little more to get a stop than the Seahawks, even though I might have Russ still a smidge over Rodgers, but Rodgers is locked in and playing at a level that we haven't seen from him in a few years. What's also exceptional about this team is the offensive line. They're fourth in run blocking so far this season. They're second in pass blocking by DVOA. And the most impressive thing about this offense, though, zero turnovers through four weeks. Only a guy like Aaron Rodgers can do that. And Aaron Jones has done a tremendous job as well holding on to the football. This offense is, it's, it's Chiefs B. It's that good. Number one, we have the Chiefs. I don't think we need to discuss that. And since we are running low on time, we won't. No one can compete with them right now. They have the greatest quarterback talent of all time. Sorry, Aaron, you have been surpassed. So that's going to do it for us here today on Nerd Sesh. We are coming out with content. As always, follow us on Twitter at nerd underscore sesh. We came out with an NBA pod earlier this week. We're coming out with a sports history pod shortly after this one will air live on Blaze Radio. And you are listening to Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. I've been Carson Brabber. Alongside me was Logan Camden. Hope you enjoyed. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.